Well, we're going to um, start a new message series next Sunday called The Wisdom of Kings. And uh, we're going to be in some of the old, the kings of the Old Testament. But today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Before we start, why don't we just pause for a moment of prayer. Lord God, we thank you that you have invited us to this moment. We thank you for your word. We invite you to teach us and equip us so that we can live uh, wholeheartedly for you uh, wherever you have placed us today. And God, as we go through this week, Lord, there may be some conversations around the water cooler about 9-11 and the remembrances about that. Lord, I just ask you to help us to find ways to continue to point uh, people to you, that we are totally dependent on you ultimately for our safety, for our protection, for our guidance and our care. And so we thank you uh, that you continue to watch over us and help us to submit to that care that you offer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to talk about what the world needs. What the world needs. See, when Jesus was with us in the flesh 2,000 years ago, he had followers. And, uh, you know, he had fans as well. People were sort of interested in him. He had enemies. He had opponents. But he had, he had followers. And the closest of his followers um, were called the Twelve. His followers were, you know, called disciples. That's what the word disciple means. as someone who's following in the pattern of this person. And there was 12 that were particularly close, and they were the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, 12 apostles. The word apostle just means a person who's been sent out with a message. And one of Jesus' last instructions to his, his disciples and his apostles was that they must go everywhere and make more disciples uh, among all people groups, all nationalities, all ethnic groups, all locations. Jesus said it this way. You've got this in Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Now, we're in a situation, however, where things have changed a lot. Right? Our world is so different from that time 2,000 years ago. It keeps changing. So, so I, I've, um, you know, you think, well, maybe the words of Jesus don't really apply anymore. Like, maybe they're irrelevant. Maybe we don't need to keep doing that disciple-making business because, you know, communication has changed, transportation, occupations have changed. I've got a picture here. This is from about 1975. This is a telephone switchboard operator. Like, my sister was a telephone switchboard operator around about 1980, moving, like, things around like that. And and somewhere in the world, someone's out of work because they stopped making rotary dial phones to go with that thing. In fact, you can see a little rotary dial thing. If you want to laugh, not during the message, just Google... Young people trying to figure out rotary dial telephones. Some of you haven't many of you seen those viral videos around. They are hilarious. You guys, we are laughing at your entire generation because your age group is trying to figure out what to do with a rotary. Would you guys know what to do with a rotary dial phone? That's because your parents are so old fashioned. No, I'm just kidding. Grandma or grandpa have one kicking around. They grew up playing with one, right? I just love that stuff. And uh, But everything's changed. You know, I'm one generation removed from people who rode horse and buggy to school. My parents. I mean, 
everything's changed. So maybe this is out of date. Maybe this is obsolete because, well, it's gone. you know, it's old-fashioned. Wow. Should we still bother with making disciples? Because it really does seem like as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're not really wanted anymore in society. Maybe we're not even needed. I mean, do Christians even have a place in 2018 society? Someone said yes. Well, we're going to talk about that because pop culture and social media tell us exactly the opposite. You Christians, you're out of date. You're out of touch. You need to get with the times. I've got this picture here from, from uh, just this was in the news recently. This is Greg Laurie's. It's a, it's a billboard uh, for a Har- Harvest Crusade down in Southern California. And it was properly, went through the proper channels. It was approved. It was set up at a, at a, at a shopping mall. And there was somebody had complained that it was offensive because he was holding a Bible. And I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not even complaining here. I'm just telling you that is the reality. That there, there are people who look at it and say, that is offensive. That is outdated and even hateful and, and divisive. And so they, they had to take it down. They say our Bible is irrelevant, that it's misguided. And so, so really we're left thinking, well, with all the changes in culture and technology and sexuality and politics, maybe we ought to just quietly... Slip away, just keep to ourselves. Except that basic human needs and issues have not changed. And, and just as Jesus came to offer an abundant life to any who would receive that from him, Jesus continues to offer an abundant life even today to all who put their full faith and trust in Jesus. And that abundant life is not only distributed to his followers, but distributed through his followers to other people. We're called to make more disciples, more followers in all nations, baptizing new believers and teaching them to obey all that Jesus taught. That word obey is pretty key because obedience equals action. Obedience equals action. You know, lots of us know who Jesus is. We may even know doctrine and theology and scripture. You know people like that. They, they, they're far, you know, far from having faith, but they know all the stuff. But do we obey? Do we do the stuff? Do we follow Jesus by doing and not just knowing what he taught? Jesus didn't command us to become doctrinal experts. He commanded us to love, to love our enemies. To love one another. To love our neighbors as ourselves. Right? He, taught, he told us to go and heal. To preach the gospel. The, the things that Jesus taught us are things to do, not just agree with. And the world around you may not like you. It may not want you. It may not respect or admire or envy you. But it needs you. It always has and it always will, whether they recognize it or not. So we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 21. And I want to point out five things that the world needs from people who follow Jesus. If you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to find that. You're in the New Testament, pretty deep into the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, then 1 Corinthians, then 2 Corinthians. You can uh, listen along or if you've got a Bible or a smartphone. Follow along with me in chapter 5. 5 is the big numbers of the chapter. Small numbers are the verses. Why don't we stand together for the reading of God's word? I just want to make sure. 
we're good, right? You guys don't feel like I was picking on you too much about the telephone thing? All right. You guys are good sports. Appreciate that. Verse 11. Paul writes, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere. And I, I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we're giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Verse 13, if it seems we're crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Verse 16. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I need an amen right there. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin or to be sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Let's be seated together. We thank the Lord for his word. When you read the New Testament, um, you, 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 like you get all these amazing accounts of miracles and healings and salvations and baptisms. And, you know, it sounds pretty straightforward and pretty easy. But it wasn't easy. Following Jesus for those early believers was dangerous and it was unpopular. Paul, the one writing this, he was not one of the 12 apostles. He was a later apostle. But he suffered beatings, loneliness, hunger, imprisonment, uh, you know, worse things, shipwrecks and, and uh, persecution of various kinds because of his conviction that this is true, that the message of Jesus is true and relevant and worth believing. And he felt compelled to persuade others of that truth. He, he says it in verse 11. We've got that one on screen here. He says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. Our faith is not to be kept private and hidden. There's, there's an actual invitation. There's a calling to actually seek to persuade others, to get others to believe the truth. You know, we'll talk another time about some ways to do that that's, that's sensitive and loving and, and compassionate. But we're called to help others believe. And so while everyone around you says, we don't need you Christians, stay, keep to yourselves in your little chapels and churches and stay out of the public eye, 
I'm telling you, the world needs us. I'm going to give you five reasons why based on this passage. The first is this, that the world needs people who live to glorify God and benefit others. The world needs people who live to glorify God and benefit others. See, I'm, I'm pretty sure that in your workplace or your school or your neighborhood, your ball team, whatever, there's, there's people who live to glorify themselves and benefit themselves. It's why a salesperson might tell you a half-truth. It's why your coworker won't trade a shift with you, right? It's, it's why you saw that classmate cheat on a test. You think, what is, what is up with that, right? It's why a boyfriend pressures his girlfriend or a girlfriend pressures her boyfriend into having sex. It's that root of glorifying and pleasing self rather than glorifying God and benefiting others. I'm convinced people are exhausted by the selfishness around you. The world needs people for whom verse 13 is a reality. Paul says, if it seems we're crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. What does he mean by that? Well, if you're perceived to be nuts, you're doing so because you don't care about getting the glory for yourself. It's not really that important what people think of you. It's, we want to direct glory to God. If we're in right minds, he says, it's for your benefit. We want to help you. We're not worried about helping ourselves. A Christian is, is willing to be misunderstood. Literally, Paul's line is, out of our minds. Crazy. Right? If it means that God gets the glory and people benefit, good. A follower of Jesus is not looking out for number one, like the old Guess Who song saying, right? Unless number one is God and other people. And and while you may be mocked and mistreated and even misunderstood, I want you to know that God notices. God notices. It matters to Him. And God thanks you for making a difference. Here's my question. What, What would happen in your world if you lived? And if what would happen in my world if we lived in a way that our purpose was to Glorify God and benefit others. To glorify God and benefit others. That's what the world needs. Secondly, the world needs people controlled by Christ's love. The world needs people controlled by Christ's love. Verse 14 is just such a statement of submission to God. Where Paul says, either way, they might think we're crazy or in our right minds, but either way, verse 14, Christ's love controls us or compels us. I like to joke about my love for coffee and ice cream, that the only two food, gra- food groups that really matter. You know, there's not a morning that goes by that I don't start my day with a cup of coffee because that's what good people do, right? Does that mean my love for coffee controls me? A little, all right? I learned recently that I'm not coffee addicted. I'm only coffee dependent. And there is a difference. But no, I could not quit any time I like. Right? Well, what would it look like if we were that dependent on Christ's love? That we started every day. God, what would it look like to live sipping your love all day today? If, if God's love for us in Christ directed our decisions, our actions, our relationships, our spending, our entertainment, our employment. What would happen if Christ's love was 
guiding all those things. The world needs people controlled by Christ's love because those people make a difference. They really do. You know, there's a big storm coming in on the East Coast. Storm Florence, I think it's called. And, you know, people are watching this and saying, this could be another bad one. You know what's going to happen when stuff blows apart? You know who's going to be there? Christians. It happens every time there's a calamity, whether it's somewhere else in the world or in America. You know who goes? Groups like Mennonite Disaster Service, Mennonite Central Committee, Samaritan's Purse, uh, Baptist Relief Services, uh, uh, Convoy of Hope. Uh, you go on and on. There's, it's Christians that rush in. Now, I will credit the Red Cross raises the most money, but it's Christian agencies that make the most difference. And that has happened again and again and again. Why? Because the love of Christ controls us, compels us. It says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna help, or I'm gonna write a check, or I'm gonna give, or I'm gonna find a way to get involved. That's what happens. Throughout history, we have this amazing track record of, uh, of Christians who are the ones who champion life changing movements. Like hospitals, and medical care, and support for the poor, and care for orphans, human rights, protection of children, abolition of, of trafficking and slavery, addiction recovery, public education, civil discourse, homes for refugees, rights of the unborn. It's Christians who do those things, again, predominantly. Again, I'm not saying others don't, but Christians predominantly lead the way on all that stuff. The world needs you. Because people controlled by the love of Christ bless the world around them. We're gonna, we're gonna hold that party in the park in a couple weeks. We're gonna give away free food. Uh, if you're gonna be there and be a part of it, one of the things we like to do is, is say, if you, if you can help beforehand, you wanna be a part of supporting the, the food that we give away when you give a text message gift or online gift or a check, just write party in the park and it'll go to kinda help support that event. And why would we do that? Why would we say to total strangers, hey, come have some tacos. Hey, play some games. Hey, jump in the bounce house. Hey, come hang out. Why would we do that? Because we love our neighbors. We're finding ways to say we love you and we want you to know that we love you. And it's, it's inconvenient for us. It might be kind of warm that day. You could have a nice extended Sunday afternoon nap, right? You can have a short nap and still help. Because our, we're controlled by the love of Christ. Paul goes on then in, in, in verses 15 and following. I've shortened it down a little bit. We have it here on screen. Paul, Paul writes this. He says, He, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So, we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. We're saying it this way. The world needs people who live a new life. The world needs people who live a new life. Yesterday I did the Teen Challenge Walk for Recovery on their Reedley campus. That's the photo I took yesterday while I was there. I hope you'll consider joining me uh, next year or you could sponsor me and save yourself the walk. Thank you. One of the families here, you sponsored me. I really appreciate that. You know who you are. The reason I love promoting and supporting the work of Teen Challenge is that rarely do you get to see 
such a dramatic difference between the old life and the new life. Uh, you, you know, we're in this situation where there's, in this campus it's men, other campuses it's women, but you, you've got guys here who are addicted to drugs, to alcohol, to pornography, prescription medications, right? Guys who, who lived uh, in violence or hopelessness or petty crime, people who burned every relational bridge and burned every opportunity. And here they are finding freedom from addiction. They're, they're getting educated. They're finding employment. They're, they're worshiping God together. They're singing the praises of their Savior. It's awesome. It's awesome. I go there and I'm hanging around these guys thinking, like, there's no way in the world anywhere else I would be hanging out with guys that look like you or that you'd be hanging out with guys that look like me. I love it. We're brothers in Christ because the old is made new in Christ. It's an incredible ministry. In fact, in your program today, there's this, this insert, Arise Fresno. It's the Arise Crusade put on by Teen Challenge. And uh, they're bringing some really great names. Um, I can't pronounce his name, but Nick, the Life Without Limbs guy. Jose Ramirez, world boxing um, champion boxer. Uh, on Sunday, October 14th, you can go to the web address, download free ticket, gets you into the event, bring a friend. And uh, then you can enjoy the, the fair. It's at the Big Fresno Fair. You can enjoy the fair for the day. It's all included in that. But they're going to be telling testimonies, leading worship. It's going to be awesome on the last day of the Big Fresno Fair. And I um, just invite you to be a part of that. The world needs people who live a new life. Because when you live that new life, the lives of the people around you change as well. So instead of serving self, you serve others. Instead of building and maintaining your own kingdom, you join in building and maintaining the kingdom of God. You leave your love for the things of this world behind you and instead invest in people, in service, in generosity. And the world needs that. The world needs people who live to glorify God and benefit others. Needs people who are controlled by Christ's love. Needs people who live a new life. And the, the fourth one here is that the world needs people who get and give reconciliation. By get, I mean people who understand it, who've grasped it, who've appropriated it in their own life, right? They're making it real. I wonder if you've ever driven a car that's out of alignment. Anybody ever had to put up with that? Back when I was 20 years old, I'd, uh, I'd been through a motorcycle wreck and I, I got an insurance settlement and... Um, my mom gave me good advice and I ignored it and instead went and bought myself a truck. And um, I'd gone off out of town in the wintertime to visit some friends and I, I had a little accident in the snow. My car slipped off the road and uh, I spun into a post and just smashed into the right sideways against the the, the front wheel uh, of, the, of the truck, smashed the fender up and it was still drivable. I was about three, maybe four hours from home. It was drivable, but I had to drive like this, trying to get the car home. I fought that car all the way home. Super embarrassed for what had happened, right? Thankful that I don't think anybody saw me. That was the worst of it. You know, when something happens, you just don't want anybody to see it. You know, so I made it home and got the car fixed. But you know, there's a lot of people that are living their life like that. They're like, they're living their life out of alignment. They're, they're fighting it to stay out of the ditch, Sometimes they go in because their life is out of alignment. They, they, they manage, but it's not God's design for them. And what we need is reconciliation, the realigning of relationships. First between us and God and then between us and other people. 
So we're not living out of alignment. Paul says we have a task, a responsibility to proclaim this message of reconciliation that by faith each person can be brought back into alignment, reconciled. The alignment of forgiveness of sin and a relationship with God. We repent, we admit to God what we've done. God forgives and we're reconciled, made right with Him. Marriages can be reconciled when there's both repentance and forgiveness. The same is true for estranged friends, parents and kids who aren't talking to each other, workplace relationships, schoolyard relationships. They can be reconciled, realigned when we do it God's way. Repentance and forgiveness. But reconciliation doesn't come naturally. It's not our first inclination to humble ourselves and make things right. It's a choice and it's a decision. And the world needs people who will model that and demonstrate what it means to not only be reconciled to God, but extend reconciliation to others and invite others into a reconciled relationship with God. Verse 20 then points out a fifth reason why the world needs you. Paul says this, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come back to God. You're an ambassador, a representative of the kingdom of God. And the world needs representatives from God's government. See, the thing about an ambassador is they live far from their homeland. But they're a temporary resident of their homeland in a foreign country. The the embassy where they live is actually considered a little piece of their home country in the foreign land. That's that's an ambassador. And I, I'm you know we're invited to be, we're commanded to be, we're challenged to be. It's our obligation, responsibility to be a representative of God's Government. If you're an ambassador, if you're the ambassador, let's say for Brazil, United States ambassador to Brazil, you'd be the beacon of hope for people that are saying, I want to leave my country, Brazil, and I want to move to America. Right? I'm an immigrant, and I'm now a citizen of the United States of America, but my legal journey to be here started at the, at the United States consulate in Vancouver, Canada. Consulate's just like a mini, it's kind of a branch of the embassy, a subsidiary of the embassy. That's where it started. And in that place, that's where they invited me to leave my original land and come and be a citizen here. That's the work of an ambassador. That's the work that we've been called to, to represent God's government here on earth. It can be, well, it can be lonely. I mean, it's an awesome privilege and it's an awesome invitation. As we speak to God, as God is making his appeal through us, but it can be really lonely. You're far from your homeland. It's a temporary residence. It can be dangerous. There are people who don't want what you have to offer. The other thing in the news that will be in the news this week is it's six years since that attack in Benghazi, in Libya, where, where uh, Ambassador Christopher Stevens and three others were murdered because they were a target of violent hatred toward the United States. In other countries today, being a Christian is just as dangerous. 
And yet the church is growing in those places. And if you'll forgive me, we're going to just take four extra minutes today. I want to show you a video from, from uh, Voice of the Martyrs. In those places where they're persecuted, in some of those places, the church continues to grow, continues to flourish. Why? Because they're learning to love their enemies. They're living out the reconciliation of God. They're ambassadors of God's government. And they need, we, the world needs an ambassador to invite them into a relationship. You know, this is a great time to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It really is. Christians have the opportunity to rise up and shine bright for a world that is jumbled up in chaos, in division, in social confusion. And we have the opportunity to shine the light of Jesus in some really dark places. Jesus warned that if we're going to do this right, we're going to be persecuted, mistreated, misunderstood, marginalized, slandered, maligned. If those are happening, you may well be on the right track. When we're governed by by love and the things that the world needs. The world needs people who live to glorify God and benefit others. The world needs people who are controlled by Christ's love. The world needs people who live a new life. People who get and give reconciliation. And people who are representatives of God's government. Will you follow Him? Are you following Jesus? Is it your goal and your desire to make more disciples. Let's pray together. God, we, we recognize that you have called us to not just a selfish experience of our salvation, or we just thank you so much for that, for that work of saving us, but God, you, you invited us to follow you so that we could invite others to follow you. You've invited us into your rule and reign, your kingdom, your government, so we could represent that to other people. And Lord, I recognize there are people around us who are not interested. In fact, they're hostile, some of them. And yet you love each one. You have, Jesus, you died for each person, even the ones who despise you, even the ones who push you away. You died for their sins as well. And God, I ask that in these days, in this fall season, as we enter a a fresh season of ministry, that you would kind of stir up in us such a love for the people around us that we find we're controlled by love. We're compelled by your love. To represent you, to live for you in our in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities, our neighborhoods, our ball teams, wherever we you place us, God, that we would be living that way, controlled by your love, for the glory of God and for the benefit of the people around us. God, we thank you so much. And church, if there's anything I've talked about this morning that's stirring in you, something that maybe even maybe just you want to return to Jesus, you've walked away and you're saying, I want to come back. I just I just invite you to come talk to me or someone, that person you came with or one of our pastoral staff. We'd love to help you with that. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus and you're saying, today's my day. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I don't care if it means I'm doing the lowest thing in my, in my community. I want to follow Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.